want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with us to Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. Romans 8, verse number 28. I want to speak today on the subject on, on the bubble. How many of you did a NCAA bracket? Anybody? How many of them are busted? All of them, probably. On the bubble, that, that's a term that you've probably heard associated with NCAA basketball. It, it, it can refer to a team that is being considered to make it into the tournament. They, it's not guaranteed. They, they may make it. They may, it could go either way. They're on the bubble. Same with a player of any sport. Maybe uh, considered to make the team, maybe on the bubble, could make it or not make it. It's no guarantee. Well, one thing that is never on the bubble. Uh, what is not on the bubble are the promises of God. God keeps his promises. In fact, when God makes a promise, he doesn't make a promise. The reason he makes those promises is not to be considered by us. God makes promises to be kept by God. Not to be considered by us, will he keep them or not. God makes them to keep them. He's not like you, and he's not like me, and he's not like us. He doesn't make promises and then breaks them. He he doesn't do that. God's not like a a pastor or people or politicians or presidents or uh, professors or uh, fill in the blank. He, He doesn't make a promise and then break the promise. He's kept his promises since Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation till today. He keeps his promises. And God doesn't need a transfer portal to go back in time to undo an unkept promise. He doesn't need it because he keeps all of his promises. He's kept every promise. He's not broken one. No, not one. Not one. And one of the most astonishing promises I mean just astounding is found in Romans 8 28 I mean it's wow that's all we can say about this promise that God has kept and continues to keep is Romans 8 28 so let's it is a verse I understand that has been ripped out of context and used every other kind of way but today we're going to look at it from the context of the text and hear what God has to say to us so Romans 8 28 if you're there say I'm there if you're not there it's okay because we got it right here right? Here's Romans 8, 28. It's on your screen if you don't have a copy. But here we go. Uh, just one verse today, and I'll, it begins this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Not in the name of ourselves, not in the name of our church, not in the name of our nation, not in the name of any other name, but in the name of Jesus we pray today. And Holy Spirit, we're asking you to teach us from this text. Holy Spirit, we're asking that this, your text, would talk to us today. And we would listen. We'd have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. And Father, we ask that you would move freely among us and that we would have freedom to respond today to you and to your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's our 
overarching truth in regards to this verse, and I've worded it this way, that, that God makes it all good. We call that the takeaway. God makes it all good. Uh, this is an astonishing truth, an amazing promise that God has made. And so what I want to do is observe three observations right out of the text. We're taking it right out of the text that I want to point out today. Here's the first one. All is not good. Under this umbrella that God makes it all good, we need to understand first and foremost that it's not all good. We can't just flippantly say it's all good because all is not good. I don't know if you've figured that out yet, but all is not good. My grandfather, we, he, he, we, we called him Popaw. Uh, he would take my grandmother, we called her Mamma, her cat head biscuits, and, and he, would, he would take that evaporated milk, that pet milk. I remember those cans that he'd give, those pet milk. And he, speaking of those cans, I've often wondered, is, why, shouldn't, evaporated, shouldn't cans of evaporated milk be empty? If it's evaporated, I, I don't know. I thought that, and I don't understand that. But he would take that evaporated milk, and he'd pour it over those biscuits. And he'd just eat it up. And he, he'd add some tomato gravy, and I mean, he'd just eat it up. And he said, this is so good. It wasn't good for him, but certainly it must have been good to him. But all things we face in this life are not biscuits and gravy. It's not good. All of it's not good. And a a can of evaporated milk is not going to make all things good because all is not good. And here is how Paul presents this truth to us in Romans 8, 28. If you look about midway through the verse, you'll find a little phrase, all things work together for good. That little all things, you see it right here, all things. All things includes all things, including y'all's things and my things, and our things. This word means each and everything, any and all things. It means every single thing. It is a term that is to be understood as comprehensive, everything, totality, everything. Not just good things or not just bad things, not just ugly things, but all things. And so with this idea, there's no exemptions to all things. There's no limitations to all. There's no qualification for all things. There's no restrictions or conditions on all things. We can understand that is an unconditional phrase. All things. There's no conditions tied to that. We can say it like this. All things is inclusive in the most conclusive sense. It doesn't mean some things or a few things or a lot of things. or uh, It doesn't mean most things or many things. It literally means there's no other way to interpret this from this context for to understand it to mean all things is referring to all things. Do we agree on this? All right, all things. In fact, look at the last verse in the chapter. Uh, Paul says it this way. He says it in a different way, but he's saying the same thing, that there is nor anything else. In all creation, that includes all of it, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the context of this is all things. And so God 
in all things is working things together, causing them to work together for good. So what is Paul saying here about all things? When Paul says that God is, or what is happening is things are, all things are working together for good, is Paul suggesting that all things are good? Is he saying all things are good? No, he's not. Is he saying that evil and suffering and tragedy, that these are good things? No, he's not. Is he saying that in this life, everything's going to work out? No, he's not saying. In this life, let, let me just clear this up. In this life, things will not work out. Okay, because this is not our home. We are strangers in this strange land. We are, are exiles on earth. We are wanderers in this world. This is not our home, church. It's not. Everything's not going to work out in this life. Ultimately, it will, but not in this life. Paul is not just throwing his hands up saying, ah, it's all good. That's not what Paul's saying. I've been asked many times, Pastor, do you believe that we're living in the last days? Now, I, I make it a practice not to stand up here and share my opinion with you because that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the Word, not Sam's opinion. So I, I normally don't do that. But today, I'm going to tell you what I believe the, the days that we're living in. Now, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is biblical prophecy. I wholeheartedly believe that in America in 2021, we're living in the days of Isaiah 5, verse 20. You might want to write that down, Isaiah 5, verse 20. I believe we're living in the days of Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. What does Isaiah 5, 20 say? Here's what it says. Woe to those, judgment to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. End quote. I wholeheartedly believe we're living in those days. Let me give you some examples of some things that are not good. Some of them are evil, and some of them are just not good. Included in the all things are evil things, good, bad, and ugly things. But here are some things that aren't that good. The Equality Act, church, is not good. This is not a good act. It's an evil act, but it's not a good act. In fact, the one group that's going to be negatively impacted the most, if you read it, are, are girls and women. This is not a good act. Other things that may not be evil, but are not so good, uh, that are tragic, actually, that are not good at all. Uh, for example, and this has happened recently, we have a, one of our F3 guys that works out with his name's Cameron. He, he, he had a terrible car accident, suffered some injuries that ended up being fatal, ended up he, he died from these injuries, left back a very, very young family he's left behind. There is nothing about that that is good. Now, can God work through that and bring about good? Sure he can. But there's nothing about that that is good. The Atlanta shooting of Asian Americans, that's not good. Afflictions, depression, disappointments, cancer, flooding, divorce, grief, hurricanes, human sex trafficking, laws, persecution, tornadoes, separation, sadness, sickness, death. These are not good. And they're included in all things. All things means all things. Even that thing you're thinking about, surely it doesn't mean that thing. Yes, it means that thing. <laughs> Whatever that thing is, it is included in all these things. Even the COVID-19 deaths and sicknesses is included in all things. And we know those aren't good. Paul is, is, is discipling us here in Romans 8, 28 and helping us to understand that as a follower of Christ, we don't follow Jesus part-time. You can't only follow Jesus when you're on the mountaintop, when things are good. 
You follow him when at all times as a believer and as a follower of Christ in all things. In other words, God never intended for your life to be a vacation. Never. He intended your life to be a vocation. You are a witness, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Being his witness in your Jerusalem and beyond. He has called you to a life of vocation, not vacation, where everything's going to be hunky-dory all the time. And I know suffering is suffocating. I know that. But hey, the suffering servant, he suffices. He's enough in the midst of the suffering and the suffocating. In other words, Romans 8, 28 is screaming off the page that God ultimately makes it all good. Now, I want you to think about this painter from years ago who the last decade of his life was at home because he was in such torturous pain from arthritis and other issues. And he would try to paint, and he would paint, he would paint, but every stroke was just painful. And his students would watch him and hear him crying out in pain every stroke that he painted. And a colleague of his asked him, said, why do you paint in such torturous agony? And here's what this French painter said. He said, the pain passes, but the beauty remains. I believe with all of my heart that if we could stand face to face to Jesus, he might say something like this. In fact, the scripture screams this all over the New Testament. The, the pain of the cross has passed. It's path. Jesus says, it is finished. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> the pain of the cross has passed, but the beauty of his church remains. The beauty of his bride remains. The beauty of his disciples remains. The beauty of redemption remains. The beauty of the gospel remains. The beauty of the good news remains. The beauty of gospel conversationalist. We remain. The beauty of the redeemed. We remain. We last forever and ever and ever. Meanwhile, I know it's not all good. All is not good. But this leads us to our second observation. And you kind of have to put all three of these together. And we will by the end of this. But here's the second one. Yeah, all is not good. But all is for good. Somebody say for good. Yes, Lord. It, It may not all be good, but it is all for good. And in Romans 8, 28, this is seen in this little phrase, all things work together for good. You see that? One of the greatest examples of this, the greatest portrayals of this in all of Scripture is found in Genesis with Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph's brothers, did they like him or not like him? They kind of hated him, honestly, and they sold him into Egyptian bondage. And his new master falsely accused him and threw him in a dungeon Eventually, he found favor with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh promoted him to what we might think of as a prime minister, one who was in charge under Pharaoh. And a famine had occurred. It was during a severe famine, and Joseph was in charge of the food giveaway. He's in charge of giving away all that food. Joseph and Joseph alone. 
So Joseph's brothers were hungry. They wanted some food, and so they came. They didn't know, they didn't realize that it was their brother Joseph who was in charge when they encountered him. But eventually Joseph identified himself. And here's what Joseph said. You, you've quoted this many times. As for you, you meant evil against me. Joseph said to his brothers, you, you hated me, you sold me, you forgot about me, left, just thought I was dead. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what church? Good. <laughs> Being sold into adoption, being sold into Egyptian bondage, I'm, I'm certain was not good. Being thrown in a dungeon and falsely accused, I'm certain that was not good. It was evil. But God, but God, but God, but God meant it for good. Now to capture this visually, I wanted to find some way to capture this and kind of show you a visual of how this may play out. So I've got a GIF I want you to see or a gift, whatever you call it, this little kid here. Somebody meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Amen? Somebody tried to knock him down, but God meant it for good. That evil weapon turned into one of the, uh, an awesome pillow, didn't it? I, I don't know what pillow that you like to use when you sleep at night. I like a big fluffy pillow. I don't like a feathered pillow. I don't like little small skinny pillows. I, I like a, a big fluffy pillow. I don't, I don't know what pillow you, maybe you like the my pillow or as the Babylon Bee said, the socialist view of that would be our pillow. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you like as far as pillows go, but I know the best pillow that I've ever laid my head on, that it has given me the best sleep of my whole life, is when I lay my head down on the pillow of the sovereignty of God. If you'll lay your head down on the pillow of the sovereignty of God, you'll get the best sleep of your life. I love the fact that Psalm 127 tells us that not only does God give us sleep, but God gives us blessings in our sleep. He answers prayers while we sleep. The best example of this is Adam. I mean, come on, church. Are you kidding me? There was no, there was no match for Adam. There was not a helper fit for him. among all. I mean, think about the creativity God gave to Adam to name all those creatures. And not one of them was found to be a fit for Adam. And God put Adam to sleep, did he not? And what did God do when he was asleep? Can you imagine Adam waking up and seeing Eve? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. You lay your head down on the pillow of the sovereignty of God. You see what God won't do. And this is what Romans 8, 28 is all about. So tonight, go to sleep. Whatever pillow you use, lay your head down on the sovereignty of God. Because if you're in Christ... If you're a believer, you can claim this verse. Now, if you're not, this has nothing to do with you. Let me say that again. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, this verse has nothing to do with you. It doesn't apply to you at all. It can, but currently, if you're not in Christ, it doesn't. But if you're in Christ, you can claim it all day long. I love the fact that although all is not good... It is for good as God is working through it. And here's how Paul says it. Look, look at this. 
we know, man, don't you love that? We know. It doesn't start with, man, we wish. Oh, we're hoping without any hope. Oh, we're wishfully thinking that maybe, maybe in all things. It doesn't say that. It says we know. And the idea here, and we know, is fantastic. I mean, what a powerful word. But notice what we know. Look, these things are working together. The word there is, uh, in the Greek, is synergos. S-Y-N-E-R-G-O-S. Uh, we get our English word, I bet you could guess, synergy. What is synergy? Synergy is where these different things work together. Different things work together to accomplish something greater than could be accomplished individually. This is why I love being Southern Baptist. We, we are a part of a cooperation. We're part of the cooperative program. We cooperate with other churches to send out missionaries all over the world. I love that about our synergy. And that's what this word means, that God is working all these bad things together for good. Think about it like this. The other day I went to a business that makes made-to-order donuts. And this lady made them in front of us. She took flour and eggs and oil and baking powder and put it all in this bowl. Now, if you take a spoonful of flour, that's not going to taste very good, is it? Or some oil by itself really doesn't taste that good. Eggs, raw eggs by themselves really not that taste. That really doesn't taste so good. Or baking powder. But you put those together. You, you put those things together and you make some donut dough and you throw it in the fryer and guess what? Oh, yeah. It's on now. Now, that tastes good when they come together. How is it possible that the combination of these individually distasteful things produce such a tasteful product? How is that possible? This is what God is doing in Romans 8, 28. And let me give you the best example I can of how God's done this in our church over the course of the last year. Food giveaways. We've been doing them since June. We're going to do them at least through April. And think about all the bad things that had to happen. Think about all the bad dominoes that had to fall for us to be able to have this opportunity to give food away. Think about that. The pandemic had to happen. Uh, people getting sick had to happen. People losing jobs, no income, no way to put food on the table. People dying. All these bad things had to happen for this good thing to happen. Think about that. And what are some good that have come out of this? Man, I've got so many, we don't have time. But let me throw some at you. I've got a few here. What, one of the most things that gets me most excited about our food giveaway is our volunteers. Tomorrow we will eclipse 1,000 volunteers. 1,000. Now I know a lot of those are repeat volunteers. But 1,000 different times somebody has served right over here on our camp. Isn't that phenomenal? Yes, praise God for that. That... That is a good thing that would not have happened had all the bad things not happened. How about this one? I love this one. Churches serving together. We're serving together with other churches. Like 14 of them come and get boxes and take them to their community. That would have never happened had all these bad things not happened. You think about how many needs are being met, untold needs are being met that we have no way to keep up with. We just prayers are being answered. We're meeting more people than we would ever have met otherwise. We're having conversation, more conversations than we otherwise would have ever had. We're praying more. I can remember one of the first giveaways. I was praying for this this family in this vehicle, and of course, I, my prayer went a little long. Okay, 
I know that's hard to believe, a pastor going long. I understand that, but I did. And one of our volunteers said, hey, pastor, you remember the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip? I said, yeah. Do you know how Philip ran alongside the chariot? <laughs> you know how he did that? Yeah. Pastor, you're holding up the line. You're going to have to learn how to run with the car and pray at the same time. You got to figure that out. So we prayed for more. We've had nine people get saved. Nine salvations. Amen. Nine since, well, this year, nine people coming through the line. And so I was, the other day, I was just thanking God for all of these blessings and just, man, just, just humble before the Lord and saying, Lord, just thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to be a part of a food giveaway that many other organizations are a part of. We're not the only one. I mean, this is happening all over America, but to be a part of that, what a bless, what a miracle God has done. So I was just thanking him for it, and this is what the Lord impressed on me. He, he didn't speak to me audibly, okay? I, I haven't ever heard God speak audibly, but he spoke louder than audibly. He impressed this on my spirit, and I want you to hear this, what God said to me. He, he said, you remember the Ethiopian eunuch? I said, yeah, of course, Lord. He said, yeah, you remember that he was reading Isaiah 53, yes, and he didn't understand what he was reading, so the Holy Spirit sent Philip to explain to him the good news of Jesus, yes, and, and he heard the good news, right, and he believed the good news, yes. And then what did he do? Well, he said to Philip, he said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And this is what the Lord impressed on me as I was meditating and thinking and thanking him and praying. He said, Sam, where's the water? I said, Lord? He said, where's the water? I said, come again, Lord. And he just kept impressing that question. Where's the water? I said, oh. I said, yes, Lord. So as soon as tomorrow... At our giveaway, we're going to have a portable baptistry in the parking lot. And we're going to baptize. Amen. Yes, Lord. Amen. We're, mm, amen. And we're going to baptize folks on the spot. Now, I know they won't be prepared, but we will be. And, no, and we may not have one person get baptized, but it won't be because there's no water. Hey, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I know when God says, where's the water? We're going to make sure we got some water out here. Amen? Yes, Lord. That, that's another just great thing that's come out. So pray, what I need you to do is pray. Please pray that God would save more and that they'd be baptized tomorrow. So please just pray. And, and through April, we're doing this through April. So we've got a portable blow-up hot tub. Nobody can get in the hot tub. But we got a portable hot tub. We're going to heat the water, hopefully. It won't be freezing. And we've got shorts for them and shirts for them. We're, we're, we'll be ready. They may not be ready, but we will be ready. So pray for salvations. Pray for baptisms. Just please, please pray. So all is not good. We recognize that. We recognize that all is not good, but we recognize all is for good. And here's the third statement. And you've got to put all these three together, like I said from the beginning. All is not good. But all is for good because of this reason. God is for you. God is for me. God is for us. He's not against us. <laughs> he, he's for y'all. 
Now, I've not seen the movie. I've only heard about it, this new Justice League movie. The director's cut was released the last few days. I don't know what the director cut because it's a four-hour movie, 260 minutes. I don't know what he, he cut, but I know there's some things in your life you wish God would cut out. Some suffering, some tragedy, some disappointment, some sickness, or whatever it might be. You wish he'd just cut that out. and he, he may cut some things out, but here's the promise. Even through those things that he doesn't cut out, he's going to work all things together for good. He's going to cause them all to work for good. And again, verse 8, the first part of this says, we know this. This is not something we're wishing for or, or some pie in the sky uh, hoping without any hope. We know this. We know. And the word know is a word that carries the idea of absolute positive knowledge which one has beyond any doubt. It, it's what the Holy Spirit, when, when you are born again, it's what the Holy Spirit does when He indwells you. The Holy Spirit gives you, settles in your spirit a, a, an intuitive knowledge that he is working in your heart and life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you this confidence. Because our confidence, is, our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in the character of the one who makes the promise. We know God is faithful, do we not? We know he's sovereign and he's truthful and he's all-knowing. And we know he's all-powerful. And we know God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food, do we not? We've been learning that forever. And that's great theology. God is good and God is great. You can't get better theology than God is good and God is great all at the same time. St. Patrick of Ireland said it like this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ over me, Christ to right of me, Christ to left of me, Christ in lying down, Christ in sitting, Christ in rising up, end quote. We know this. This should give us great confidence. And we know it by staying in his word. That's how we know this. In fact, look, 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 how, look how he says it. And, and this is important. We have this unconditional clause right here. All things, or this unconditional phrase, all things. There's no conditions to that, okay? But as bookends on the all things are two conditions, multiple conditions. The first one is, we know that for those who love God. This does not read that we know that for the entire human race, all things work together for good. That is not what that verse says. It does not say that we know that for those who are religious, all things work for good. It does not say that. It does not say. And we know that for those who are moral, it's not what it says. It says we know that for those who love God. How do you know if you love God? You keep His commandments. That's, that's, that's how anyone who keeps my commandments... This is how you love me. Keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. In fact, this is the only place in the book of Romans, by the way, where Paul refers to our love for God. Every other time, he's referring to God's love for us. 
So this is a condition that goes along with God working all things together for good. He does it for those who love God. Also, he does it for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is referring to the call of salvation. That's what that's referring to, the call of salvation. Those who are called unto salvation according to his purpose. These who are born again through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Those who are called unto salvation. Those who realize through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, and he helps you understand, hey, Jesus is right and I'm wrong. Uh, that, that I need to repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in Christ alone. And then the Holy Spirit does this work of, of helping you understand the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, and he draws you unto himself to be saved. This is what the Holy Spirit does for those who are called unto salvation. And here's the purpose. I love this. According to his purpose. What is his purpose. Well, it's in verse 29. You just got to keep reading. And here's his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what is God's purpose for your life? It's for you to be transformed, conformed, shaped, molded into the image of Jesus. That's his purpose for your life. So for those who love God, who are called according to that purpose, who are little Christ who are followers of Jesus, who are being made into disciples, who are fishermen of men. These are the ones whom this promise is for. Here's a way to think about it. God has not called us to understand all of what he's doing. He has called us to stand under all that he is doing. Uh, think of it like this. The, the Japanese coast, years ago, 1933, had a 30-foot tsunami that just crushed it. A lot of villages were just wiped out. So one mayor along that coast years later knew the history and said, I'm going to build a wall that will protect these villagers. So he built a 51-foot wall, and the villagers hated it and hated him for building it. It was an eyesore. They didn't like it. It blocked their view. They hated it. No other village had such a seawall, and they didn't like it until that day. March 11, 2011, when a tsunami wiped out the entire coast, wiped out every village except that one village that had that 51-foot seawall. And then the one that was hated became the hero. Oh, they loved him then. Why? Because they didn't understand why we have to have this big of a seawall. They understood we need a seawall, but why this big? And though they didn't understand, they stood under it, and it protected them. So in this, listen, God has not called us to understand what he's doing. He's called us to stand under verses like Romans 8, 28. That believer, you're getting bombarded from every side. And you need to know that in those terrible things, God is working them together for his glory and for your good. And the greatest example of this is found no other place than Calvary. Think about the cross. Think about Jesus' passion, his suffering. Think about how he was humiliated, how he was spat on, how he was beaten and scourged and crucified. And what do we call that day? When we remember that day, when we 
take some time. It's a, it comes around Easter, and we recognize. What do we call that day? It's on your calendar if you don't know. What do we call that day? What do we call it? Good? <laughs> what about that is good? That probably wasn't a very good day for Jesus on this earth. Why is that good? Again, this is the beauty of a verse like Romans 8, 28. God took the worst of the worst. His son, unrecognizable, being put through so much torturous, false accusations, crucified for me and for you, satisfying the wrath of God, dying in your place, paying our penalty. This is why it's good. In fact, Isaiah said, that it was God's will to crush his own son for vile sinners like you and me. That's why we call it good. Why? Because the cross ultimately was for God's glory and for our good. That's why it's good news. What is the good news? The good news, if you look at the details of the good news, the suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus, much of that is not so good. His suffering. But man, it's good for us. and It's good for God's glory. God makes it all good. So today, you may be far from the Lord. You may not be in the family of God. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe you've never entered into a relationship with the one who created you. If that is the case for you, you can't claim this verse. All things are not working out for your good because you don't belong to him. You don't love him. You're not called according to his purpose. You don't belong to him, but you can. That's the beauty of it. You can't. Whosoever will can. You can. But you have to humble yourself, and you have to recognize that Jesus is right and you're wrong. And you have to recognize that it's your fault that you're separated from God. It's not God's fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's your fault. Quit blaming people for your sin. It's not God's fault. It's not so-and-so's fault. It's your fault. So repent of it and put your faith in Jesus alone because he paid the penalty for all of our sins. So put your faith in him. Turn from your sin. Turn to him. Believe that God raised him from the dead. Believe that Jesus died in your place. And confess with your mouth that he's Lord. Call upon his name. You'll be saved. It's an invitation that I don't make to you. God has made to you. Come to Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. You'll find peace. You'll find joy. You'll find satisfaction. It's only in Jesus. So you have to turn to him and trust him. So I encourage you to do that today. And when you do, you can claim this verse. You can stand under this verse. Maybe not understand it wholeheartedly, but you can stand under it. And believer, let me challenge you with this. In person or online, let me challenge you with this. Obviously, God is for us. We're going to really look at that next week at the end of Romans 8. When we get into God, how he is for us, we'll look at that next week. But here's the question for you, church. God is for us, yes. Are you for God? In your conversations, are you for God? In your thought process, what you think, is that for God? What you say, what you look at, what you listen to, are those for God? 
When people look into your life, do you say, yes, this person is for Jesus? It's pretty obvious. Hey, God is for you. Are you for him? If not, you need to come to these steps, and you need to get on your face if you're in the room and say, Lord, help me. Help me be for you. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for the time to worship today. We give you all the praise and glory that, God, you make it all good. We pray this invitation will be for your honor and for your glory in Jesus' name. Church, I want everybody to look up at me, and I want to say one thing before we stand and have our invitation. God makes it all good. Amen? Do you believe this? Go back to creation. What God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light. What did he say about the light? He said it was? Yes, God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together. Let the dry land appear, and God saw that it was? God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants and every good uh, tree, and God saw that it was? God said, let the lights be, uh, separate the day and the night, and God saw that it was? God said, let all the, 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 the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and God saw that it was? God said, let the land bring forth living creatures, and he said that it was? I love this one. God made man in his own image. He said, let us make man in our own image, and God saw that it was very this is what God is. He makes all He makes it all good because He's good all the time. It's who He is. God saw Adam and said, man, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, God said, or Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Uh, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God said He makes His sun rise on the evil and the good. God says, don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. God said, let us not grow weary of doing. God said, he disciplines us for our own good. God even says, let us fight the good fight of the faith. That what God is doing in you, that good work will come to completion. God even says, well done, my good and faithful servant. God even says, I am the good shepherd and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Would you stand with us, church? If you don't belong to Jesus, I'm asking you to come to one of our pastors if you're in the room. We want to pray with you. We want to help you in the decision you've already made to come to faith in Christ. We want to help you take the next step in baptism. Maybe for you to be for God, you need to join the church because that's the next step for you. Or answer that call of ministry. Or join that life group or discipleship group. Or come to the altar and just ask God to help you before him. If you're worshiping with us online, please text the word Jesus or connect or pray. Whatever God impresses on your heart, respond right now to the Lord in Jesus' name.